Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 186 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Luke chapter 7 today, and our focus is on what does great faith look like and what motivated Jesus. So every day we do this, we get into one chapter of the Bible and discuss it and learn from it and seek to follow it. Our goal is to get as many people as possible involved in daily Bible reading. To join with us, you can subscribe to the show. The easiest way to do that is through our webpage, Bible2021.com, which has links to subscribe. You can also find us on all your favorite podcast apps. Bible 2021 Podcast is the name. In Luke chapter 7, we see a beautiful and touching episode. A woman from a village called Nain, who had already lost her husband, has just lost her son, her only son as well. How devastated must that woman have been, and how does Jesus respond to such a situation? Well, in verses 13 and 14, we see, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped, and he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, that one phrase has often interested me, because it's in the Bible a lot where it says Jesus was moved with compassion. The Greek word there is fascinating and kind of weird to us because the word is splankonizomai, yes, splankonizomai, which is a strange word, and it means to be moved in your bowels, which, you know, sounds kind of funny on the surface, especially if you're a fifth grade boy, but the reality is it meant to be moved or touched or shook in the deepest part of your most inward being, and that's how the first century people thought of compassion. It was something that touched you in the very deepest part of your soul and body. Over and over again in scripture, we see the Bible depicting Jesus. Jesus is being moved with compassion. In Matthew 9, Jesus is moved with compassion about a crowd because they're hungry and tired. In Matthew 14, he's moved with compassion about a different crowd because so many of them are sick and hurting. In Matthew 15, there's another crowd that Jesus is moved by because they're hungry. And in Matthew 20, he's moved with compassion when he sees two blind men begging for sight. In Mark 1, Jesus is moved with compassion by seeing a leprous man that everybody else was staying away from, and Jesus healed the man. So what motivates Jesus to action? And the answer, multiple times in Scripture, Jesus is motivated by compassion, touched in the deepest part of his being with feelings for those suffering. May we also be moved by the same kind of motivations. Well, let's go ahead and read our passage, then we're going to discuss what great faith looks like because we're going to have an example uh, that's wonderful of great faith today. So Luke chapter 7 verse 1, when Jesus had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He's worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with him, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed." For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
Jesus heard this and was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. The disciples and a large crowd were traveling with them. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was also with her, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped, and he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. The report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord, asking, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, go and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people, including the tax collectors, heard this, they acknowledged God's way of righteousness because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. To what then should I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to each other. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't weep. For John the Baptist did not come eating and drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged correctly, he told them. Told, told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, 
Her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So the Roman centurion here embodies great faith for us. So what does great faith look like? The kind of faith that Jesus marveled at and commended. Well, it looks like rock-solid, practical trust in the middle of a tremendous trial. The Roman centurion obviously cared for his servant, and he was deeply worried about him. He was faced with a remarkable trial, but he wasn't panicked about it because he absolutely knew that Jesus could do something about it. And I see two elements here of great faith. Number one, unwavering trust that doesn't doubt. And number two, unwavering trust in the midst of a crisis. It's one thing to believe in God's protection when you're sailing the ship of your life through calm water, so to speak. But it's quite another thing to still be fully assured of that protection when the ship of your life is going through a great storm that is rocking everything. And this is what we see in the one that Jesus commended for his great faith. The centurion believed wholeheartedly, unquestionably, even in the midst of a terrible storm. I also wanted us to notice that the centurion's great faith was not arrogant. It wasn't presumptuous. It wasn't braggadocious or self-assured. He models for us the humility of great faith, as Spurgeon points out when he says, concerning the centurion, he was such a believer in the Son of God that Jesus said concerning him, I've not found so great a faith, not even in Israel. There's the vital point. The faith of the centurion is described both in the 8th chapter of Matthew and in Luke 7 as being of the highest kind, and the remarkable point in it is that it was coupled with the very deepest humility. The same man who said, say a word and my servant will be healed, also said, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. In bringing before you this noble soldier's example, there are two pivots upon which our discourse shall turn. Number one, the man's deep humility was not injurious to the strength of his faith. And number two, his gigantic faith was by no means hostile to his deep humiliation. In other words, you can be a person of great humility and great faith. Well, let's close with our Bible memory verse for the month of July. It's from Luke chapter 6, verses 47 and 48. Jesus says, I will show you what someone is like who comes to me. Here's my words and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.